Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Sunday. Yeah, another weekend podcast here at uscfootball.com and the Peristyle Podcast. But we wanted to bring in Dan Weber, uscfootball.com, great columnist and beat writer, talking about the team, talking about the coaching search and all that kind of stuff. You guys have sent in an absolute ton of questions. Did a solo podcast on Saturday. We got Dan on today. We'll have Harvey Hyde on tomorrow. So lots of questions to get to. Um, if you want to send us a question, Keep it short if you can. Podcast at uscfootball.com. That's our email address. 641-715-3900 is the phone number. That's extension 816-646. Or if you want to go from your computer or your tablet, go to parastylepodcast.com. Click on the left side of the page. You can leave a voicemail right from your device. And, of course, if you want to rate us, if you want to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, go to itunes.com slash Podcast. A lot of different ways to get a hold of us. Rate the show, consume the show. We want to bring in Dan Weber. What's up, Dan? How are you, sir? Oh, doing good. And enjoying the uh, the bowl games and uh, actually uh, staying up. Luckily, live on the West Coast, so I can actually watch the uh, bowl games and yeah. watch the Pac-12 teams. Although even last night, I think the uh, the Arizona State uh, uh, game probably missed the uh, deadlines in Phoenix. I think it was too late, even in uh, you know, on, on Pacific time. Uh, so, uh, you know, just something that Larry Scott might want to work on, not only the bowl arrangements and the TV times that kind of go together but with a pro, you know, a problem that everybody's had all year long. But when you look at, uh, what happened when Christian McCafferty was seen by the whole nation in the Red Bowl, people said, gee, that guy's pretty good. <laughs> Where's he been all year? No kidding. You know, and, uh, <laughs> I think at least the bowl, you know, being, get us, give us an idea of what the Pac-12 has to work on. Yeah, for sure. Um, Pac-12 kind of started strong, and then the L.A. schools didn't really pull it together. Then, of course, Oregon and Arizona State both kind of choked it away last night. Um, one of the, before we jump in, we, like I said, we got tons of questions. I wanted to thank our sponsor, uh, Michael Moline Real Estate. So if you're in SoCal somewhere and you need real estate help, uh, he's our buddy. He helps out. He works in the Coliseum with the USC Stats team. You can go to his website, michaelmolinerealestate.com, or give him a call at 310-275-4688. He's based out of Beverly Hills, but if you're anywhere in SoCal, he can uh, certainly help you out. And, Dan, like I said, we have a ton of questions. So lots of stuff with the the bowl game, with the future, and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I'm going to start with this one, and uh, we'll let, we'll take, let you take it from there. Hi, Ryan. This is Alan from St. Louis, and this question is for you and Dan Weber. Uh, I think that the Holiday Bowl was a perfect microcosm or analogy for the current state of uh, USC's program. It was a mix of high expectations with huge letdowns, flashes of brilliance, which eventually gets, gets smothered by mistakes and incompetence. And most importantly, it was a, a great example of the failure to progress or learn from mistakes. So altogether, I feel like I've been watching the same exact team play the same exact game for the last four seasons. And it's a game essentially of just unfulfilled potential. 
And I can honestly say that I have not seen any USC team improve during the course of the year since that anomalous 10-2 season under Kiffin. So with all that, I have a very simple question. Do you and your colleagues believe that this team will improve or be any different next year? If so, what reasons or evidence can you point to? Frankly, I think we just got a glimpse of our future, and it looks an awful lot like our past. Thanks for all the work that you do, for all the fans, and fight on. Yeah, it's almost impossible to say that's not true. Uh, but I thought the uh, the finish this year was uh, was really disappointing. The uh, inability to get better. I mean, if you look at you know Cody, you look at Adore, they had better years last year than this year. Um, you know, maybe Juju, uh, you could say is, is in a better place. Maybe, uh, Zach Banner a little bit, uh, but, uh, you know, other than at the end when Delvon and Antoine, you know, came on and are playing for the NFL and all that, there, there wasn't, you know, and maybe Biggie, uh, as a freshman, uh, but there weren't a lot of, you know, places you could point to and say, wow, they're really getting it. They're getting better. Now, obviously, you, you look around the country. I mean, the Wisconsin people, for example, <clears throat> they couldn't even believe that USC could show up for a game having gone through what it went through. So, I mean, you know, we can look at it and say, gosh, you know, they're just not getting any better. But there are other people who say, gosh, we'd be on our hands and knees. And as bad as they played, and as maybe even worse as they prepared for the bowl game against a Wisconsin team that really played well. I mean, really, really, a 9-3 and Wisconsin team that played really well. And USC still has a shot to win the darn game. Uh, so that's the, the, you know, the problem with dealing with USC football is that potential. You see it, uh, that ability to get close but also that ability right now to not be able to figure its way out of how do we do this better? How do we get, you know, from here to there and, and we're better when we get there? Uh, those were the, that was the great secret of peace teams. Uh, the thing that I couldn't ever get over was how much better they would get from the last game of the season to the bowl game. And you would find people were playing USC in bowl games and they were trying to play the USC team that they saw on film during the regular season, and the USC team that would show up at the bowl game was far better than that team that they had seen on film. Uh, that's not been the case uh, no. <laughs> uh, so much here. Two years ago, I'll give them the, the Las Vegas Bowl. Uh, was that an anomaly? It's hard to say. But uh, other than that, uh, this team hasn't shown the ability. Now, will a new coaching staff and a new commitment and, you know, it's going to be, you can call it a new staff or a new slash old staff, kind of a combo. Uh, will they be able to, you know, figure out their way through this and stop telling these guys how good they are, how much talent they've got, how, you know, all of this potential and say, look, you either do it or you don't. And we haven't been doing it. And that's all of us coaches and players together. Uh, and we've got to get better. We've got to get stronger. We've got to get more explosive. We've got to get more flexible. We've got to get all the things that, you know, you're playing against the Stanford that does that. Uh, you know, Stanford basically, Jim Harbaugh came in and said, I want to be USC. I want to do what Pete does. And they did. And they are. 
Now, what USC's basically got to copy themselves being copied by people like Stanford, and uh, that's got to happen right away. <clears throat> can they and will they? I think they can. Will they? That's up to them. Yeah. All right, good question there. That was a, I thought it was a well-thought-out voicemail. Really good. Um, all right, here we'll go to our next one. Lots of voicemails. I think it's a record for voicemails this week, but here's another one. Randall in Dallas, and my question is for Dan. How ironic. Cody's last pass was a check down. Bring on Max Brown. Fight on. I don't think it was ironic at all. Uh, it's a, it's symptomatic of, of what went wrong with this team. I mean, the, the idea that, you know, you could, that you would hear that kind of miscommunication, even if you were going to throw a check down and surprise everybody. You had to throw it 15, <clears throat> 18 yards to give them a shot at kicking a field goal. Now, if they could have pulled that off and hit one for, you know, 15 yards, and Alex Wood comes in with one second on the clock and, and knocks one through, everybody says, wow, that's the greatest, smartest, you know, finish in the, uh, you know, history of, uh, USC ball games. But that was such a, ch- and, and, and the thing that worries you a little bit there is that your senior quarterback who has this wonderful relationship over all those years since he's been recruited by Clay Helton, and instead of running the Hail Mary that they called, overrules it and runs, you know, a check down pass to a receiver who doesn't know either the down or the distance. Uh, that's symptomatic of some problems. Uh, and, and I don't think it's ironic. I think it's uh, symptomatic of, uh, some things that have to not happen ever again. All right. Uh, thanks for that. It was a real short, sweet one. Um, we'll go. Let's, oh, actually, David Ladera Ranch, uh, he wrote in kind of the same thing. So thanks, Dave. Just kind of talking about that. Any, anyone, if you were to talk about that last play, yeah, that was, uh, re- definitely read Dan's story because it was a, a perfect, you know, kind of microcosm of the season. Um, let's, uh, let's go another voicemail. Here you go. Hi, Ryan. This is Al from Fresno. Uh, question for Dan. Um, left the Holiday Bowl, very frustrated and still confused on how we could lose the game the way we did. Uh, especially when you have, you're listening to people on the radio saying, throw the ball down the middle of the field and that the opposing team is expecting you to throw it to the flat. Uh, I mean, throw it to the sidelines to stop the clock. Uh, I don't understand why these just didn't run Rojo or maybe a tight end straight down the middle, you know, to get the yards that they need, you know, and also to spike the ball because the, the clock stops you know, with the first down. Um, it seems like everyone knew it, but Clay Helton and, and the offense focusing on, on Juju and, you know, no other players, you know, you know puts us at a, a disadvantage. Um, how does anyone get this to Clay Helton uh, as far as, you know, in his ear to let him know, hey, you know, you need to spread the ball around and bring some more play diversity to this team? And the amazing thing was, if you knew it was going to Juju and they knew it was going to Juju, it almost went to Juju. He almost caught it. And they would have won the darn game. Uh, as crazy as, you know, that, that might seem. But, uh, yeah, that we've been frustrated in not getting answers about how they think about the, um, uh, the two minute drill and where it's going wrong and where it doesn't seem to give them a chance and um, and what has to happen. One will think that <clears throat> with a uh, 
say, a Max Brown with his comfort level of throwing the ball deeper and uh, his willingness to, to just go ahead and do that. Uh, I also think, you know, Cody a little bit, uh, you know, he's not a short guy, but when they're coming up the A-gaps like they were, that doesn't give you as much opportunity to throw the ball down the middle. And, again, Wisconsin picked up the fact that USC's A-gaps were wide and vulnerable. One would have wished that USC would have picked up on the same thing. I know they talked about self-scouting, but it looks like Wisconsin's scouting of USC was better than USC's scouting of USC. So a lot of things have to get start getting right. And, um, you know, you're doing it with some of the pretty much the same cast on offense. They're going to bring in some people who are going to give a fresh look and a different look, but uh, but they've got to figure out uh, uh, what what they haven't been able to do. I mean, the two minute drill is just it's the worst anybody anywhere that you've ever seen, and uh, that has to change. Yeah, Penn State. I was watching that one yesterday. That was pretty bad too. Uh, they did throw a hail mary at the end though, so at least they had tried. Didn't quite get to the end zone, but they made a shot. But Penn State's. Uh, two-minute offense. They were t- dumping it down. I'm like, this is USC. It was kind of crazy. We're better than Penn State. There you go. That's the that's the <laughs> offseason motto, the feel-good motto. Well, they did uh, get off the Hail Mary, though. And that's the bad thing. You don't want to be watching the Penn State-Georgia game and thinking, is that where USC is now? You know, those programs that used to be sort of were, and now where are they? Uh, you don't want to be there. This is USC has to get get itself going. I mean, let's face it. I don't know that anybody's got a whole lot more that they can work with for next year than this program and this, you know, and the opportunity is there. And I mean, you just got to do it. I mean, it's not like they're. I mean, uh, you know, if you pick out the other five teams in the Pac-12 South. You'd sure rather be where USC is. You might rather be where USC is than where Oregon's going to be. Or, you know, as much as you love Christian McCaffrey, uh, that new cast that they're going to have at, at Stanford, I'm, you know, who's, you know, who's to say that USC isn't really in a good place if they get themselves in shape, if they do all the things they've got to do, and if they figure out what they haven't been doing right. And, um, We'll see. They've got eight months to to get it done, but uh, uh, they got to get it done. Let's go to Terry. And he said, Dan, your live from the press box comments regarding the Trojans play were as strong as you've ever made. And I agree with you. It's embarrassing and pathetic. What is particularly frustrating is that with the few practices and no hitting in practice, this outcome was very predictable. I'm still shocked how Coach uh, Helton, he called him Coach Shelton, this is Coach Helton. I don't know if that was a mistake or on purpose, but Coach, he didn't say, he said Shelton, but it's Coach Helton's judgment uh, regarding the prep for the bowl game could be so bad. I think this puts even more pressure on him to, one, fill the remaining assistant coaching positions with experienced coaches, and two, allow himself to be influenced by those individuals. Your thoughts? Absolutely. No question about that. I think you hit it exactly right uh, there. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I tend to, we're not in the meetings. We're not, you know, doing all the, you know, we're not watching them, uh, do the, you know, the strength and conditioning stuff and all of that. So 
you tend to essentially defer to the coaches and their judgment. All we see is the practice. I mean, we see a lot more practice than anybody covering almost anybody else's team, you know, do. But uh, we, we still got to say, well, we think <clears throat> he'll be able to read where this team is and what has to be done. Clearly, he didn't and he couldn't. And uh, and it's a worry because if there was a fault with, uh, with Lane Kiffin, who did have at least the excuse of the sanctions or Sark is that, you know, they practiced them as the season got on, got going on. They practiced them a little bit too much like it's an NFL team. And that these are guys capable of getting themselves ready to go on their own in terms of the physical part of the game. They're not. Uh, Wisconsin needed to hit and they needed to reinforce that. Apparently, uh, uh, the reports about Alabama's bowl practices is that they've been unbelievably physically demanding and, uh, you know, with all kinds of hitting. Uh, USC's now back to the place where they've got enough bodies, uh, and they've got to just, if you're going to commit, uh, I mean, I think the, the best thing that PKL teams did is practices and mimic games. <clears throat> For many of those players, practices were tougher than the games. Uh, at least they were more competitive and, you know, and, and I think you're going to pra- uh, play like you practice. And this team played like it practiced in the, in the holiday bowl. They played like they practiced in, against Stanford in Oregon. Some of that was scheme. Some of that was just, you know, basic intensity and, uh, knowing what they wanted to do and making themselves, you know, able to do it. And, uh, that has to change. All right. Um, we have AG Dub wrote in very kind of a long rant, like number of number of points and questions. Uh, he's accusing Pat Hayden of being like a Notre Dame mole. Um, <laughs> kind of went off on things. His first one, uh, what you'd maybe address. He says, "Who told this offensive line unit that they were uh, offensive line players?" When in reality, they were recruited for the cheerleader squad. Everyone knows the offensive line telegraphs every every play to the defense. I don't, I don't know if everybody knows that, but I don't know if you have any thoughts on that there. I mean, I do think there are some sense that, uh, if you certainly watched Wisconsin play the USC defense, that they knew what was coming. If you watch Stanford, uh, I think it's a combination of things. It's sound and distance and formation and personnel groupings and all of that. But, uh, uh, USC is more predictable, certainly, than you'd ever want a team to be. Uh, and the offensive line is, Part of that, uh, I mean, I just, you know, they just don't quite look ready and confident and able to, you know, exert their will on the people they're playing. And basically, they're bigger and, you know, on paper, should be stronger than, than the teams they're playing. I mean, it was amazing. Wisconsin started Three guys down. They played a three down, three down, and they were 268, 272, and I guess one was 296. But just way smaller than the USC offensive front. And, you know, they held USC to 65 yards rushing. I mean, that's just totally unacceptable. It's just absolutely, there's, there's a lack of confidence. It looks to me like that they, you know, just don't have a sense that we can do this right. We can pull this off. We can, uh, you know, not commit penalties. We can not have, you know, second and long. They hit nine plays, 
that lost that where they had tackles for losses. That was above the USC season average of seven per game, the tackles for losses allowed, which I think was number 124 in the uh, uh, nationally. And that's four from the bottom. USC allowed, uh, you know, only four teams allowed more tackles for losses per game than USC did. That's just totally unacceptable. And, and the offensive line's a big part of that, and that has to change. The uh, the second kind of part was two questions of his rant, but he was talking about the defensive backs. He goes, who taught them to play from behind? I always thought the best position was to have the receiver in front of them so they could see what was going on. Maybe I'm wrong, who knows? But he also uh, takes a shot at Dory Jackson saying, how could he be a highly rated defensive back when he can't cover anybody on defense? Yeah, I think they, they went – I don't think they – feared uh, Wisconsin's pass receivers, and they certainly didn't fear their quarterback. And so I think they thought they could play more zone. And it doesn't look like a team that knows how to play zone. I mean, uh, basically it looks like zone to this team is, well, just don't get beat deep. I mean, to, 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 to play zone in a way that, Again, how they did against Stanford uh, in that first game where you just basically let them run crossing routes in front of your face and then you tackle them after the first down. Um, <laughs> that's not the way you play, you know, pass defense, even in zone. But, it, yeah, the teaching doesn't look like it's, it's, it's been there in terms of technique. Uh, and, and the going back and forth between zone and man just doesn't seem to work well you know, for these guys, uh, you know, would they have been better off just playing man? Uh, and, you know, at least you, um, you know, you have a responsibility. Uh, they, you know, they'll tend to grab and <clears throat> pull people down. <clears throat> Excuse me. But, uh, but I'd almost rather see him playing man now pretty much exclusively than, uh, zone, you know, they just drop and, uh, say, you can't beat us deep. And, and Wisconsin didn't have any speed. So they weren't going to beat him deep. But uh, what you saw was that guy looked like Joe Montana. It's a guy, you know, he had thrown more interceptions than touchdowns this year. And, uh, I mean, the Wisconsin fans basically, uh, you know, he'd started three years, but they hated him as a quarterback. And they love him now because he looked pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. Well, let's go to Nelson. He says, Ryan. I really appreciate the work you're doing here, the podcast, the war room, and the day-to-day. Thanks, Nelson. Uh, when you do the next podcast, please address why we do not feed the ball to Ronald Jones more. Davis has had his moments, but the stats sure, excuse me, sure suggest that Jones is the go-to guy. Yeah, I think eight touches uh, running the ball against Wisconsin was uh, unacceptable. Uh, it's just unacceptable. I mean, it, you know, it's a factor of the fact, you know, the USC had 18 fewer running plays than Wisconsin did because USC couldn't get them off the field. Uh, and, they, you know, there really were just two guys running the ball. So uh, Ronald Jones has to get more than eight carries. I think he's definitely improved his pass catching. He, you know, at least he got one chance to, you know, catch it and turn it upfield and, and, you know, had a really nice play. But, uh, I think, you know, there's got to be more trust and confidence and, uh, you can't coach scared. You can't play scared. And, uh, he's, uh, you know, turned the game around, uh, talent and, uh, you got to give him a chance to be that. And, uh, I don't think USC didn't do that. And, uh, they, uh, they need to be, 
they need to be able to do that. And um, that's another thing they got to work on. Is uh, I thought the offense looked grab baggy, as I would call it. They were just grab bagging plays out of the, you know, out of the hat. You know, just well, let's try this. Well, let's try that. Oh, how about this? Maybe this will work. Oh, what about no? You know, establish a rhythm. Establish, uh, uh, you know. Uh, now it's obvious if you can't execute, say first down, and now you got second and ten or eleven because you, you know two guys block, you know nobody, and you know some guy comes in, you know free, uh, and that happens way too often. Uh, so that lack of confidence, which is why you probably should have practiced more, and and you know maybe you cut down the number of plays. But uh, there's no excuse for going into the Holiday Bowl without the ability to execute every play you run and without the ability to get the ball to your game breakers. And uh, they didn't do either of those. Yeah, hard to argue with that. Um, this is uh, not a very cheery email. It's short. Uh, I won't say it's sweet. Dan, this is for, for Dan, from Dan. We were outcoached, outplayed, outschemed. We have no pass rush. We won't run the football. We can't pass block. We can't stop the run. We can't stop the pass. All an embarrassing loss to a mediocre offensive team. Stumble on, Dan. Well, they they sort of stopped the run. <laughs> yeah, is, <laughs> I won't argue with. Uh, yeah, it was it was not a good performance. It just wasn't. They weren't ready to play. Um, uh, they you, if you're playing Wisconsin, you absolutely have to be able to take you know something away from them and. Uh, that they couldn't take anything away from Wisconsin's offense, that was that was unacceptable. Uh, there's no way uh, you can't go into that game and take something away from Wisconsin. And uh, Wisconsin was able to do whatever they wanted. And that's very seldom that Wisconsin can go into a game unless it's you know the dregs against the dregs of the Big Ten when they can say that. And that was uh, that was uh, you know again. Unacceptable and um, and way below USC standards, and um, you know that's all I can say. You're right. Yeah. Um, let's see. We had one from Gene. It says, "Hey Ryan, thanks for the podcast. This is Gene from Orange County. Fantastic job on the War Room this week. You hit it right on the head about USC's preparation for the bowl game. Also, in fact, uh, also if the fact that UCLA should get Tom Herman as their head coach." That would be that would also show what a poor choice uh, Clay Helton was uh, regarding USC's continued penalties and lack of discipline. I would like Dan's opinion on why so many of the Trojan players have their jerseys hanging out. I think this shows a lack of discipline and coaching. None of the other top teams look like this. I know it's a small issue, but I think that's something that needs to change uh, to avoid the downhill spiral of our team. Thanks from Gene. You know. I was noticing more and more jerseys are made like that now. They're they're actually cut shorter and tighter. They're they're cut so tight. I mean, you can't believe I mean, uh, how they get those things on, and uh, it's, it's pretty amazing. <clears throat> but for some reason, and it might be because of the size of the Trojan players, uh, the jerseys look like they're out more than they are. I was I was checking, for example, uh, with them against Wisconsin. And Wisconsin had as many jerseys out as USC did. It just looks different. Uh, you know, if you're a USC kid <clears throat> and you're maybe a little bit overweight and, uh, your jersey is hanging out, it looks like it's hanging out more, but, but 
it's different now. Those jerseys, they used to make them with the really long tails and uh, that they would, you know, they used to even, you know, have them where they, you know, you'd, you'd snap them into place, you know, and, you know, the the front to the back and uh, all of that. They don't do that now anymore. They've cut everything way down and they'd rather have, have them not inside their, uh, in, inside their pants even. So, uh, so I think it's more the look than the actuality of it, but, uh, but you don't want people noticing that. Uh, you know, you want it so that even though it's out, it doesn't look like it's out. That's how they're made to be. So anyway, that's, uh, that's my take on that. I'm trying to think what was his other question. No, no, that, I think that was it. Um, that was it. Okay. It was, yeah. He was yeah, like, I think it's more the, more the, the look that if you, if you've got a number of 330 plus pound guys, you're going to look like, uh, your jerseys are hanging out because they just can't quite make them, uh, as short and as, uh, as neat fitting, uh, for those guys. All right. Let's go back to, uh, voicemail. Uh, you're doing a great job, Dan. There, we're we're getting through. <laughs> There's so many. We yeah. still got a bunch to get through, but I think you're doing a great job with these. All right, let me. Uh, I'll play this one for you. This is Richard from Toluca Lake. This is for either Coach Hyde or Dan Weber. Uh, after watching Alabama blow out Michigan State and Stanford blow out Iowa, Alabama with the Heisman Trophy winner, Stanford with the McCaffrey who should have won the Heisman Trophy. I would like to know what either one of you fellas think of SC's preparation for the game next year with a quarterback that has not been in any games and game tested and an offensive coordinator that hasn't called any plays. I enjoy your program very much, and I want to listen to your uh, comments. Thanks again. Bye. Well, I mean, I think uh, Alabama is going to be in that same situation uh, with a new uh Probably not a coordinator now. We thought Lane probably would two years was going to be his limited at Alabama, but it looks like uh, after uh, losing a number of other coaches and and uh, strength people and that kind of thing, with uh, the, the defections from Alabama uh, from the coaching staff for a new job, uh, Lane looks like he might be a good you know uh, possibility to end up there uh, again uh, without a head coaching job coming his way. Uh, so. But I'm not sure that, as I mentioned before, Lane with a, a really inexperienced quarterback is the best combination, or Nick Saban with uh, a mostly inexperienced team. Uh, I think if you're going to play Alabama, you'd rather play them at that, in that first game. Uh, USC will be a far more experienced team in most ways, uh, other than in coaching and a quarterback. Uh, but, uh, you know, they've got to make it work for them. The rest of the staff, I think, has to get this thing together. And, um, and, and T. Martin has to step up and prove that he really has an offensive philosophy and, uh, uh the ability to sustain it and the ability to, uh, coach it with confidence and the ability for his players to understand who they are and, and what they do and how they do it and what they're, you know, how they win football games. And, uh, you know, that's going to be the challenge. They've got eight eight months to, to get there. But, I mean, I like the opportunity for USC here. Uh, and I like it that Alabama, that game is out there. I mean, I think it's just, if that can't get you ready, you know, if that can't get you to the weight room every, you know, every day and it can't get you, you know, through the winter workouts and spring ball and, and summer, uh, then, you know, there are there are some things wrong with uh, the makeup of this team, if that isn't enough to really get them 
to where they need to be. Uh, this is an opportunity to get back. This is an opportunity to take the kind of step that, you know, those USC teams took when they, uh, you know, scheduled Auburn and Arkansas and, and, uh, you know, Virginia Tech, uh, and, and those early games that you could point to and say, you know, these are, you know, games that will really test us and, and see what we're made of. And, uh, you know, I, I like that opportunity. I don't think that, uh, I think, uh, uh, Max, uh, you know, Brown will be more prepared and more ready to step up and play in that game than, uh, than the Alabama quarterback. I really, I believe that. So I don't think that's the kind of thing that, uh, that you're, you know, you're going to say, oh, you know, we don't, you know, have a shot standing on the field. I think obviously Lane's got all the experience in the world, but he's going to be working with a young quarterback. I'm not sure that that's the best situation for Lane. So we'll see how that, you know, how that coaching part of it plays out. But, uh, uh, you know, it's something that, it's something to think about, but it's not something to say, oh, well, it's me. You know, we really have, you know, the, the bad end of this deal. I don't think that's true. All right. Let's, uh, Mark in La Quinta has a short one. He said, I know Ryan is looking. I know, I'm sorry. I know that Ryan is looking at USC talent with, uh, he said row colored glasses. I think he means rose colored glasses. I would like Dan's opinion on the following question. With the exception of Cravens and Smith Schuster, is there anyone on the Trojans that would start for Stanford. Jeez, that's okay. That's from Mark. Yeah, yeah. I, and I, I think Mark, we've gone back and forth over this. <clears throat> yeah, I think uh, I think Delvon Simmons and Antoine uh, both would, uh, you know, certainly by the way they played by the end of the year would start. I think uh, I think Cam Smith, the way he played much of the year. Uh, you know, would start Max Turk as good as the Stanford offensive line was. I think Max Turk absolutely is a starter. I think if you put the rest of the USC offensive line guys who play, if you'd have put them in the Stanford program to start out, they'd all be in the mix. Uh, they'd be in better shape and they'd be better, you know, coached to this point and they know what they were doing. But, uh, but I don't know that, you know, on paper, you know, and I know that that Stanford offensive line um, that he recruited, you know, four years ago or five years ago, I guess now, uh, with Andrew Speed who left and, and, and the Murphy kid and those guys, uh, they say are the best offensive line they've ever recruited, which makes them really, really good. But I don't know that USC's kids in shape, well coached, uh, don't fit in, you know, in that pattern. And, and I think we get, we get carried away. Stanford's secondary. I mean, they're really not, you know, they're not spectacular. They they play well together and they're coached well together, but to act like Adore and Biggie and, and those kids, you know, wouldn't be on the field at Stanford, I think is, we're kidding ourselves. I mean, they would. Uh, that none of the other USC linebackers really stepped up is kind of a disappointment. So you don't see them maybe in that mix, but, uh, but if you were Stanford, for example, after Christian McCaffrey, your next two guys in the game would probably be Ronald Jones and, and, and Justin Davis. So, you know, I don't think, you know, USC's way out of the mix there. Um, uh, but not only did the linebackers not step up, I don't think another, you know, wide receiver really stepped up into the mix. Uh, and Stanford basically goes for the big guys and the, um, and tight ends. And USC didn't go there. I mean, they didn't go to any receivers besides uh, Juju, and they didn't go to anybody, you know, 
much at the tight ends, although I think Taylor McNamara would would be a factor at Stanford, and I think uh, Tyler you know, eventually would. Uh, but it's a different way of developing, you know, talent and bringing them on. But to say that Stanford's talent is much better than USC's talent, I think is a misread uh, of the situation, uh, you know, completely. Would they, you know, where they are right now compared to where the Stanford kids are right now in Stanford's system? I don't know. If you bring the Stanford kids to USC, you could reverse that question. How many of those Stanford kids would start at USC based on everything that, you know, has happened at USC, and, and where would they be? Um, so you're kind of, I hate to use the, uh, you know, Mark Emmert uh, comment, but you're comparing <laughs> apples and oranges here nice. uh, a little bit. <laughs> uh, so, so that's kind of my take on that. I don't think it's talent. Okay. Um, this one's from Rex, and he says, Hey, guys, while watching the Rose Bowl, the announcer stated that Stanford had only – uh, had one lineman miss one game in the last five years despite their extremely physical style of play. I researched the strength and conditioning program, and Coach Shannon Turley emphasizes several things that help with injury prevention. I also saw that Urban Meyer's first step at Ohio State was getting the best strength and conditioning coach possible. He said you can't win without a superstar S&C coach. Is Clay Hilton going to go out and get a guy like this because obviously injuries have been a major issue for us? Uh, I said, my second thought is Wisconsin, uh, number 48 said in an interview that they noticed on tape that USC tended to leave their A gaps open and they knew they could exploit this weakness. And oh boy, did they exploit it over and over again. It seems to me that there would be a good idea for the coaching staff to have, uh, have a non member of our coaching staff, say someone like Coach Hyde, who reviews our game films each week and see if we have any tendencies in play calling, a gap weakness or whatever so that we can uh, maximize our potential each game and play to our fullest potential. Love the podcast. Keep up the great work. Rex in Georgia, land overflowing with SEC Kool-Aid. Fight on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I would think that the new coaches coming in, really, I think, USC fans have to hope that they give that kind of outside look at what's going on here and say, look, you got to, you know, this has got to stop or this is something we got to, you know, how did this happen? You know, how did we, how did you end up at the end of the year and you still, you know, hadn't realized that this was going on? Uh, as to the injury thing, I think you're, I mean, I think what Stanford, I really like what Stanford's done. Uh, uh, and I think they, they are doing a whole different way of going about things and, and it's not so much the, the power weights and, uh, some of it sounds a little bit like what Chris Carlisle was, was doing, and Ivan Lewis has certainly been a part of the Chris, you know, Carlisle, uh, you know, coaching tree, uh, for strength and conditioning. Uh, and, it, you know, it involves movement, but it also probably involves, you know, nutrition and getting those guys, you know, uh, I mean, they've got, you know, three guys, they easily could lose 30, 30 pounds, and, and that would help, you know, tremendously. I think some of it is, uh, uh, scheming. I mean, some of it's just bad luck. You know, some of it is just, uh, you know, being in the wrong place at the wrong time. But I think with Stanford, they control their luck more because they're in the right place at the right time. They, the confidence level they have that they can, you know, do what, you know, that they can execute what they're being asked to do. And they just seem to have that, you know, that sort of well-oiled machine that we always talk about, but that's what they are. And 
when you're kind of herky jerky and guys are, you know, in places maybe they they didn't expect themselves to be or in positions, you know, that you know where they're maybe a little bit unprotected, uh, you know, that's when you get hurt. And uh, uh, the Stanford kids don't seem to be in those places too much. They are basically kind of inflicting their will on you, and they're the actors, and, and you're the ones getting acted on. USC doesn't handle that. USC isn't doing that. They're they're the ones that are, you know, end up having somebody, you know, roll into them or having somebody, you know, you're in a place where maybe you shouldn't have been or you were trying to, you know, fill in for somebody else in terms of, you know, help out. And uh, I think that all, it all plays together. I mean, there's no one part that you can just take, a, you know, and say this is, this is how you do it. It's all of that that goes together, the, you know, the game planning, the scheming, the play calling, the confidence, and then how you train. And, and, and I like the idea of training with more flexibility and more explosiveness and more uh, uh, exercises and, and workouts that are geared to exactly what you do on the football field, exactly your football moves. You know, as opposed to, uh, you know, and, and I know Ivan talks about that a lot, that, that they try to, you know, coach them up position by position and they give them all different kinds of, uh, you know, strength and conditioning, uh, training that are really specific to the things they're going to do on the football field. It just doesn't seem, you know, that we, we see that as clearly as you do say with, uh, with an Alabama or with a, with a Stanford where it's just so obvious that, uh, you know, they've got them, you know, doing all the things they want them to do and it's, and they don't seem to be, uh, you know, suffering any injuries, uh, much as a result. Um, all right. Good one there. That's a good two parter. Let's see. John and Brea, he says, uh, two games in a row, this team was not prepared. Nine games in a row trailing at the start of the second quarter. What can turn this mediocrity around? There's no one left to fire. It's like we watch the same game over and over again. Is this T. Martin's offense? I think we witnessed the worst offensive series in the history of USC football in the third quarter. Is it too late to hire Rocky Long? Zero momentum heading into the recruiting and spring. Please help me find a silver lining, John and Brea. Well, I mean, I think it's going to be a, it's got to be a collective effort. I mean, there are so many quarterbacks that looks like are going to be on this new staff and all of that, uh, that, uh, you know, and everybody's a play caller and, and what have you. But in this case, I think it, it will help. I mean, we've got to assume that, uh, you're going to see a couple, a couple of Western Kentucky guys, you know, come in, and a, you know, a younger guy and a, and a, a veteran, veteran guy. Uh, and that combination with, you know, the, the holdovers at USC, I mean, I think it was, it was difficult. I mean, uh, when you lose your head coach, who's sort of your offensive guru in the, you know, early in the season where Clay takes over, but he's still the offensive coordinator who was working his way into the, being the play caller this year. And then he keeps that role. And then T Martin, Kind of moves into more and more of a uh, a shared role, and those you know, and, and they've got people on offense who are no longer here, 
and it just didn't work. I mean, it, it's pretty obvious it didn't work. I, I'm surprised that Clay decided to keep the play calling through the bowl game because he didn't want any disruptions. I mean, you know, you'd already fired your offensive line coach. Uh, there were plenty of disruptions already. <laughs> uh, so how that all worked out, uh, not well, obviously. I mean, it, you know, you're going to be a run first team and a physical team and a win it in a trenches team and you get 65 rushing yards and you give up nine plays, you know, with tackles for loss, losses is not a good start, uh, for this, uh, you know, this, this coaching staff. Um, so you've got to hope that, uh, you know, that the two new coaches on offense, at least two, uh, bring the kinds of qualities that they can all, you know, take a really honest look at what happened. And you're right. That was maybe having two things happen in that game that I think half the stand out. You're right. That may have been the worst series, the three sacks by the CT kid on the same series with the penalty. <laughs> uh, when USC gets the ball at midfield, has a chance to drive it in for the, you know, basically the first time in the game and ends up, you know, basically, you know, almost in their own end zone, uh, might be the worst series in USC football history on offense. And then to have the, you know, the last play of the game where you need a Hail Mary and you throw a, uh, you know, a short check down that's, that would have been, uh, fourth down and you wouldn't have gotten the first, even the first down as the clock runs out. Uh, those two things together, you would think would force them to sit there and say, what the hell is going on with our offense? And how can we get this right? I mean, hopefully the reaction that we get from the fans or that we have ourselves is not unlike the reaction they're having. I mean, they can't not be seeing how awful that is. I mean, they got to know what, you know, more than we do. Now they may not tell us, but, uh, if they don't know that, then there's probably not a great deal of hope if they, if they really don't understand what's going on yeah. uh one would think they do and one would think they know that they have to get it right but uh you know <laughs> well, again they got eight months yeah let's get it right and we'll see but uh this has to it has to change it was it was awful i mean it just, there's no other way to say it it was unacceptable way below usc standards and uh a whole lot of things contributed to it uh, this kind of, I was going to go to a couple more voicemail, but this one kind of goes along with that last one, the way your answer went. So I'll, I'll, I'll give you this one. It says, this is from Justin in Orange County. He says, well, the game went as well as could be expected considering the coaching turmoil and the lack of practices. I'm sure you're getting overwhelmed with the emails complaining about all sorts of poor decisions made by Cody, the coaching staff, etc. So I won't add your list there. My question is a take, is to take a more broad view. Hayden has been a disaster as the athletic director. And what patience the USC fan base and boosters uh, had has been completely eroded. So now let's take the assistant coaching positions. Let's let's say that the assistant coaching positions don't dazzle us. The recruiting class is good, but not great. The terrible Coliseum renovation plan goes through unchanged, etc. Then USC loses to Alabama and again to Stanford and maybe also to Utah, Notre Dame, UCLA, Washington, etc. How long before there is serious turmoil at SC like we haven't seen before and really it may not it may not be fair to Helton but how much is directed at him love the show uh Justin from Orange County uh you know 
see it, Turbo? I think the worst thing that can happen is people just go away and say, I don't need this. And that's what I would, I mean, I think I'd, I'd take serious turmoil over that. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing you don't want is people just saying, Indifference. you know, Indifference. I'm going to go to the beach or yeah. whatever. Uh, I'll watch Star Wars three or four more times or something, you know. That's, uh, I think, the scary thing. Uh, I mean, I, as much as people are unhappy right now, it's not a bad thing. I, I mean, you know, they care. They care a lot. And USC has to, I think, reflect that they understand how much people care and how much it matters. And if they're going to spend the kind of money that you spend on a major college football program, and they're going to try to raise, even for a uh, an admittedly uh, not really very uh, uh, dazzling uh, renovation plan at the Coliseum, you're talking $270 million. Uh, you got to get it right. And you, you can't just say, oh, well, we'll go and do this and for this reason. You've you got to have your priorities in order, I think. And, and at this point... Uh, I'm not sure that they've had. I mean, how can the priority be anything other than we're going to have the best football program that the University of Southern California can possibly have, and we're going to do it right. And if you have any other priority than that, you're not doing it right. Uh, and uh, so I, I think they've you know, missed on some of their priorities in terms of, uh, you know, why did you do this? Uh, you know. Obviously, hiring Steve Sarkeesian was an incredible mistake. It was, it, in no way did that fit the, you know, the way you should run a football program and the way a university should go out and hire. I mean, he was not the right person for the job and it should not have ever been, you know, considered. And, uh, that was a disaster. And it's now a, a disaster with a $30 million lawsuit on top of it. Uh, and uh, a couple of lost years when coming out of the uh, NCAA sanctions that USC should have fought and maybe, uh, you know, defended its reputation and, and the fact that they chose not to, um, you know, for, from my point of view, might have been the worst thing that, that's happened, you know, in this regime that, um, that you got to fight on as USC has, I think, the best fight song and motto in college football in terms of, of what the message is. And that message has been missed, it seems, at the top levels of USC's athletic administration. And uh, it's got to get back. And uh, it's not easy to do it from below. I think it's possible. USC's an unusual situation. Uh, anybody else? had gone through what USC has gone through the last five years, the program would be absolutely kneecapped. They would have no chance to do anything, to be anywhere. Uh, you really, if you talk to people at other programs, when they just sort of catch up on USC, like say the Wisconsin people this last week, they're like, how can you guys even be, you know, in the game? How can you be in any game? How can you be, you know, how do you win the Pac-12 South? I mean, as bad as you feel at USC now, what's it like to know they went unbeaten in the Pac-12 South? What would it be like to be one of those other teams? You know, if you're UCLA, 
thinking you've got the Heisman Trophy winner for four years in a row at quarterback coming in, and you're just going to lay waste to USC. What are you thinking? Because they know what USC has gone through, and still, it's still standing. It still has a chance. I mean, I think that's kind of what you, you have to say about all of this is, no matter what, USC somehow has a chance. Uh, how that is, I don't think anybody knows. I don't think <laughs> Alabama would not be in this place have they gone through what USC went through the last five years. Notre Dame would not be in this place. Ohio State would not be in this place. They got a little bit of penalties, and look what happened to them for a year. I mean, but uh, uh, USC, you know, has compounded all of the other things with their own actions, and still they haven't been able, you know, to whack this program down to the point where they won't go into the Alabama game next year thinking they got a heck of a chance to win. Uh, so, you know, from that point of view, USC is a different place. USC has a different way of, of getting through some of these things, if only it will, and if only it's not its own worst enemy. All right, let's get back to the voicemails. Sorry, man, there's still still questions. You're doing great, Dad. I appreciate this. Uh, hopefully people are enjoying it. But, man, there's just so many to come in, and they're all good. I mean, it's not like they're bad questions. Um, all right, here's the next one. J.D. from D.C. with a question for Dan. Uh, Dan, will somebody please get Clay Helton on record to comment on Dave Aranda's performance in the Holiday Bowl? After all, when you as the USC head coach and play caller go head-to-head with an opponent's defensive coordinator in a bowl game, you must have an opinion. It's a perfectly legitimate, obvious, and arguably necessary question for the media to raise at his next press conference. What question could possibly be of greater interest or more revealing? Yeah, I mean, I I think uh, now that Dave Aranda is at LSU, I think uh, it's kind of one of those uh, uh, more for uh, you know, know how you would say it, just kind of interest. Not like it it, it really matters. I I really liked him. Uh, I like the fact that obviously he's a Redlands guy. Still got plenty of family out here. He's on the way up. Uh, the fact that he was Tom Herman's roommate at Cal Lutheran uh, is kind of an amazing coincidence, and you think these two will end up somewhere together in the very near future, uh, whether it's LSU or Texas or Texas A&M. Um, and, yeah, I thought Dave Aranda was perfect you know, for uh, shutting down uh, Big Ten defenses with the way he, he defends with uh, with the talent he has at Wisconsin. And then USC kind of reverted to a, uh, a Big Ten, not very good Big Ten offense in that game, and he shut USC down just the way he did, you know, Purdue and uh, Northwestern and, you know, anybody that he played in the Big Ten, Minnesota, USC came out and played like those teams, and, uh, and Aranda shut them down. But, yeah, at 39... He's a bright guy. Uh, the players love him, and, and there's not enough good things you can say about him. One would think that the the fact that he got 1.3 million to start at LSU might have priced him out of, of USC's range. I don't know that how much, if any, conversation went on, and I don't even know the ethics of that. If you're playing in the bowl game, 
uh, head-to-head. I don't know if you have to kind of wait until the game is over. And I think the fact that because of uh, Clancy Pendergast being in the mix uh, might not have taken USC down that path with uh, with Dave Aranda, but I think he's gone to the right place. I think with LSU's talent, I think they bring nine starters back from, from this team. They're always going to have so much talent on defense. And in the SEC, where you're not going to have to play against wide-open offenses and, 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 and really talented, you know, multi-dimensional quarterbacks and, and the wide receivers and, and all of that and the, the kind of offenses you see in the Pac-12, I think it's a it's a perfect place for Dave Aranda to be, but uh, you know, I'll answer that far, Clay. Uh, can't say enough good things about about uh, you know Dave Aranda. Uh, speaking of defensive coordinators, we had another voicemail question on that subject, so I'll play it. Hello, this question is for Dan. Happy holidays! Uh, today is January first, as I'm sending in this voicemail. Uh, my question is though, LSU played three days ago. And they are able to name their defensive coordinator as of today. Yet and still, even the coaches that are going to be coming in for the offensive line and whatever position Tyson Helton is going to take over, we have yet to name it. I understand they're waiting until the end of the NFL season for Clancy Pendergrass. But how can we not even name those two positions? And our season is over. Like, what is going on in Heritage Hall? I appreciate everything you guys do each week. Thank you for the podcasts, the chats. And again, uh, I support the football team. Happy holidays and fight on. Hey, uh, great question. I think the decisions have mostly been made. I think the coaching staff is mostly shaped. I think the contracts have been going through legal. Uh, I think holding up because of Clancy makes sense. I mean, they're playing their last game today. Uh, so I think some things maybe going to happen today, tomorrow. Uh, I don't think they felt like they were in a, um, you know, competition with, say, LSU. I mean, I think that, you know, if you would talk to them, they'll probably say, we got our guy and LSU got their guy. And uh, I think that's kind of, you know, where, where it lies. I think it's probably more of a competition, though, because of Aranda, uh, situation to, uh, for LSU. I think LSU at this point maybe needed that kind of a, I mean, they've had, you know, if there was somebody in the running for as screwed up an athletic department and coaching situation as USC, LSU's right there, uh, in terms of how they handled, uh, you know, uh, Les Miles and that whole deal, uh, and where that is going forward, I mean, that they gave Dave Aranda a three-year contract that's probably, you know, well more than uh, $4 million. And, you know, he may be there next year. Les Miles won't be. Um, so uh, it's it's kind of an odd, in an odd situation uh, the way LSU – and it might be the LSU athletic director, you know, also felt the need after the, the way they screwed up and the president – all the people at LSU who are all so embarrassed about how the, the whole last miles, you know, firing, non-firing went down on that last, uh, last game. Uh, so, so I think they were kind of pushed into 
action, but I don't think the fact that I think some people feel like the fact that USC hasn't announced anything or hasn't said anything means that maybe they haven't done anything. I think they're getting the guys they wanted, and they're not losing anybody, you know, losing out on anybody. Uh, and there's still maybe one one place to go, and we'll see how that works out. But uh, but I think you're going to find it kind of interesting how this whole coaching staff goes together and and, and what the makeup of it is. And I'll, I'll be interested to see what everybody thinks when when it all comes out, as we think it is going to. All right. Um, we got a couple more, and we'll let you go, Dan. I know it's a lot. Uh, Michael in Toronto and Greg in Atlanta, actually kind of both similar uh, things. So I'll, I'll read you, Michael, the international one. He says, yeah. uh, continue to love and appreciate the podcast. You're all great. Well, thanks. Uh, first off, Ryan, I want you to be my agent and get me the athletic director job at USC. I will work for half of Hayden's salary and guarantee you the same poor results. In fact, if you do a good job, or if I do a good job, I will gladly return half my salary. Secondly, would you or Dan give me some hope for the coming year? Like you, I believe if Helton got the job, it shouldn't have been, uh, it shouldn't have been until after all the games were played. The composition of his assistants isn't giving me much hope. I thought that it wouldn't have gone, I thought that he would have gone hard after Aranda, a proven commodity, and someone that can develop players. Now that I've read, he wasn't given serious consideration. LSU has the defensive coordinator and the defensive line coaches that SC were really dying for. Is Neil Calloway the stud offensive line coach that we are looking for? I want 2016 to be memorable for signature wins and championships. If not, then we are off to 2017, in which case both Helton and Hayden should be canned. If that means we lose a recruiting class, so be it. It didn't hurt Michigan this year after they hired the right coach. Michael from Toronto. Yeah, Michael, I, um, I think you won't be terribly disappointed the way this comes together. I really, I think, you know, right now you, you don't have anything to hang your hat on. I, I think Neil Callaway, I like, I like the possibilities there. I, I really like, you know, where he's been and, and, and what his, uh, you know, what he brings to the table as a former, you know, offensive coordinator and, uh, head coach, a guy who's, uh, I know one of the, the comments about him was that as a player for Bear Bryant and as a coach at Auburn and Alabama, he's been part of more SEC championships than, uh, than I think anybody in history. So he's a guy that's been tested and, and does have, you know, he's, been at places where they've been run first and where they've been physical and uh, has that, I think, that that ability, I think, to project that with with this team. Uh, and also, I think he's got the ability to, to basically come in and, you know, with a fresh look and say, look, what the heck are you doing here? Uh, I think Tyson Helton has the same ability. How that all works together, I don't, I don't think we know. Uh, but I think I think there's the chance. I mean, they know how how big a deal this is, and they can't keep, uh, you know, on the same path that that took them down at Oregon and Stanford and and Wisconsin. That just can't happen. Uh, but let's say if you've got your guy for the defensive coordinator's job, you probably can't go after a Dave Miranda. And you'll see, you know, if if it turns out the way that it looks like it sure could be Clancy. 
you've got a guy who's really been tested in the uh, Pac-12. And that's something, you know, as good a job, and I really, really, really like Aranda. He never coached in the Pac-12. And he's coached in leagues and done really well against teams that don't play very wide-open quarterback, uh, you know, quality, uh, you know, leagues. And so I think there would be an adjustment. I think he's really, really good. I think he's got head coaching, you know, written all over him. Uh, if he and Herman get together at one of these big-time programs, I think they're going to be, you know, dynamite. But I don't necessarily think that USC totally comes up, uh, you know, short in, in, as far as, you know, moving down the road. Now, if they get the D-line coach right, um, I think there's there's hope. But we'll see. Yeah. All right, we've got one last one for you, Dan. Um, this is Greg in Atlanta. Thanks. And sorry if we missed yours. We, we've just gone through so many. I don't want to put Dan through <laughs> this, uh, whole car wash of questions, but he said, uh, thanks for the awesome podcast and, uh, outstanding USC coverage. If the Clay Helton era turns out to be as bad as many fans are anticipating, how long do you think before USC makes a change again? Perhaps three seasons or less? Uh, thanks. Greg in Atlanta. Probably not a good sign, Dan, when the, the coach hasn't really started his career yet and people are all talking about when you can replace him. But that's Greg's yeah, question. Yeah, and I, I'm sure they were, there were those questions before Pete Carroll had coached the game. And I know it's crazy to compare anybody to Pete at this point in time because uh, they're not. It's just situationally. Um, uh, I'm not going there. I just think that's, that's not the kind of way anybody around the program and, and we're around the program uh should be thinking uh you have to assume that they get this right if for no other reason then then you'd like to see these players get the chance to be as good as they can be and it's something that hasn't happened for usc players in a long time and much of it not through their own fault and so i don't think it would be good uh, I don't think it would be productive or anything else to be speculating like that because that would, you know, mean that that these guys, you know, we've just seen a senior class go through five years of, of some really tough times that, uh, again, weren't of their own making and where they deserve probably more support and more, you know, backing from the administration than they got. And, uh, you know, it was, it was sad to send them out as losers, uh, on that, you know, that last game where it would have been so, you know, possible for them not to have gone out that way. So I'm just probably not going to go there in terms of that kind of speculation. I just think you have to assume that, that this will come together and, uh, and, you know, that they make it happen. And, uh, not until, and if and until things start going, sideways or south or however you want to describe that uh should i think anybody should be uh speculating about uh about that kind of a future yes it's gonna be his first opportunity for spring football and the off-season workouts and you know his staff and um there's a lot there there's just a lot that he's going to have to put into place his systems and all of that um and it's not an easy road so i think it's going to be a, a really true test um it'll be his team He's already got, it's funny, Dan. I talked about this on the solo podcast yesterday. 
after the end of next season, when he has 12 uh, games under his belt as head coach, um, you know, with potentially more in the postseason, he's already, if my count's right, he's been the head coach for 10 games at USC, um, eight as an interim, two as the permanent head coach. After next year, even though it's his first year, he'll have more head coaching experience at USC than Steve Sarkeesian did. He only coached for 18 games, and, and Clay Helton would have 22 plus whatever. So right. I think you'll have a pretty good sense after next year of the really tough schedule, how it all plays out, and what his kind of, you know, team is going to look like. Um, and I think there'll be, you know, good or bad, there'll be speculation probably after next year. Even though I don't think anything will happen then, that's probably when it'll start. Yeah, and he's got a chance. I mean, he's got an opportunity to lock himself in next year as well. I mean, he's got next year is, you know, the season or the ceiling is, you know, he's going to set where that is. Uh, and this team, I mean, he's got a team that could lock him in here and say, you got the answers. Let's go. Uh, the opportunity will be, <clears throat> will be there. <clears throat> and he's not picking it up in the middle of the season and he's not picking it up with other coaches and all of that. It's going to be his staff, his team. Uh, he, you know, was in the recruiting of a lot of these guys and, and, and involved in, and, you know, ever since they stepped on campus. So this is his team. And, uh, I think we basically, you know, consider it, uh, at the very least his second year. And, uh, and he's got, you know, I think if you look at what happened with Pete in his second year, uh, you know, that's what it happened. And, uh, so I think, uh, he's got the chance and, uh, and he, we'll see, uh, but it's it's not where you say, oh, he gets another shot, or oh, he he's just you know bringing in his own system, or he no, none of that. He next year, you better be ready to go, and uh, and get it done. You've got, I think he's got the players, uh, maybe right, not right now, but you've got the chance to shape them into the players uh, that you need to be able to compete. You know, with a schedule that people are, I think you could make the case it's the toughest schedule in the nation right now if you look at next year. And, uh, the good news there is, uh, if you do well against that schedule, you have brought in a system, you've convinced your players, uh, you know, that this is going to work and you've, you've developed the confidence, but there's got to be a toughness and a hard edge about this program that we haven't, frankly, haven't seen yet. And it's, it's, it's not the kind of thing that an interim coach maybe can bring in, but the head coach for, uh, the first year of a five year, uh, contract has to be able to bring it in and has to change the culture. And, uh, now we see if Clay is that guy. All right. Well, Dan, great stuff. Uh, went, went long today, but so many questions. Uh, great weekend podcast. Thank you so much for coming in and sharing all the insight. Great stuff. Thank you. Uh, great questions. Uh, we keep getting good, nothing but good questions. Yeah. Uh, the Peristyle's been on fire here recently with analysis and uh, questions and answers and all kinds of good, uh, good stuff. So thank you guys. All right. Well, thanks, Dan, and everyone else. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Peristyle podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll have a show. I'm actually traveling tonight, going to San Antonio, but I will tape a show this afternoon, uh, or, you know, on Sunday that we'll put up on Monday with Coach Harvey Hyde. So, uh, but stay tuned for updates on, on my Twitter, Inside Troy, from the Army All-American Bowl and all the recruiting stuff. And thanks so much for tuning in. We will talk to you next time.
Most people know that buying or selling real estate is no small undertaking. Understanding the market value of your home, pricing, advertising, closing, and perhaps even selling personal property along the way are all examples of the real estate journey. And Michael Moline Real Estate has the experience to help make that journey an enjoyable one. Southern California real estate inventories are at historic lows, so there is no better time than now to sell your residential property. Whether you're moving into a bigger home or downsizing, personal property is often a component of the real estate transaction. Michael Moline Real Estate has industry expertise to help you with both your real property and your personal property as you get ready to transition. Michael Moline Real Estate specializes in properties located on the west side of Los Angeles and the southern San Fernando Valley communities. Allow Michael Moline Real Estate to give you a free comparative market analysis and home valuation so you know how much your home is worth today. Contact Michael Moline at michaelmolinerealestate.com. That's Michael, M-O-L-I-N-E, realestate.com. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 